You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM uh, 1530 on medium wave uh, <coughs> Radio Ramadan 365 on DAB uh, you can listen live on our website rr365.co.uk this is our new website the reason it's rr365 is inshallah we'll be broadcasting beyond Eid beyond Ramadan so it will be called Radio Ramadan but 365 hence the website 365 rr365.co.uk you can listen live and we will be broadcasting for 24/7 after Ramadan as well on our community license that we have uh, it won't be an FM it will be on medium wave it will be on our website and it will always be on DAB uh, find us on Radio Ramadan 365 for this particular show reflections with Sheikh Rizwan you can uh, find us on i syllabus website as well on webcasting uh, where you can actually see and uh, hear this show uh, listen in uh, on all these platforms uh, spread the word uh, if you like it comment on our facebook page and also uh, give us some feedback so that we can improve ourselves uh, what you like and what you don't let us know uh, today uh, saturday 16th of may 22nd of ramadan time just now is 6 minutes past 8 iftar today is at 9:32 uh and uh, we'll go uh, to uh inshallah the first selection of ayahs which is 83 onwards again um and after we've uh, listened to the ayahs in arabic and translation in english we'll have some comments from sheikh ridwan muhammad on this particular section بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم In the name of Allah the absolutely merciful the especially merciful ويسألونك عن ذي القرنين قل سأتلو عليكم منه ذكرا Say I shall relate to you from what has been mentioned about him Verily we established him in the earth and we gave him the means of everything So he followed away إِذَا بَلَغَ مَغْرِبَ الشَّمْسِ وَجَدَهَا تَغْرُبُ فِي عَيْنٍ حَمِئَةٍ وَوَجَدَ عِنْدَهَا قَوْمًا قُلْنَا يَا ذَا الْقَرْنَيْنِ إِمَّا أَنْ تُعَذِّبَ وَإِمَّا أَنْ تَتَّخِذَ فِيهِمْ حُسْنًا Until when he reached the setting place of the sun He found it setting in a spring of black muddy water and he found near it a people we said O Dhulqarnain either you punish them or treat them with kindness Qala amma man zalama fasawfa nu'adhibuhu thumma yuraddu ila rabbihi fayu'adhibuhu 'adhaban nukra He said As for him who does wrong we shall punish him and then he will be brought back unto his lord who will punish him with a terrible punishment 
But as for him who believes and works righteousness, he shall have the best reward, and we shall speak unto him mild words. Then he followed another way. Until when he came to the rising place of the sun, he found it rising on a people for whom we had provided no shelter against the sun. So it was, and we knew all about him. Then he followed away. Until when he reached between two mountains, he found before them a people who scarcely understood a word. So Radio Ramadan's uh, uh, program Reflections, uh, we bring you um, in these reflections the commentary of Surah Kahf um, in th- this year. Uh, we chose Surah Kahf um, knowing that inshallah this will benefit us understanding our situation especially the when we are in and getting into the deeper meanings of um, uh, these ayahs, these selections where there is uh, a constant tension between the forms of knowledge available, how we are able to, how should we interact uh, with, with these various forms of knowledge um, and how much of knowledge is useful for us, which type of knowledge we should be pursuing and concerning ourselves with. Um, this seems to be the running theme in all the stories we've um, covered so far. The story of the seven sleepers, the story of uh, people of the garden, the story of Zulkarnain, and before that, story of Musa salam and Khidr salam. Salam alaikum, Sheikh. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So, Sheikh, um, just just this uh, opening um, understanding of uh, this surah so far. How would you comment on that? Um, you mean the, the actual story itself, the beginning yeah. of it? Um, I think we've discussed in passing the the context of this um, story. Um, but remember, you can get caught up in the details of what's being spoken about, uh, mentioned. Um, you can surmise and, and think and, and um, have guesses about the specific peoples or the places that are being discussed. Um, but the Qur'an seems to just provide an overview of Dhul Qarnayn in terms of who he was, what abilities he had, um, which were almost God-given and unending to, to the point that he could he could um, traverse the known ha- in, in inhabited parts of the world. And... Um, 
but he was unable to do certain things, which was to to conquer and to subjugate a specific third part of what's mentioned here. And, and that's what I think the most important part of this story is. First of all, setting the scene by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna makanna lahu fil ard that we established him or we established the way for him on, on earth. Makanna lahu fil ard actually, even though it says established him in the earth, um, it's almost as, as, as if Allah is saying that the earth was established for his use. Um, so that he was free to interact and to take and to control and to rule um, with the power that he'd been given and, and the judicious nature of his mind and his, his use of resources. But at a certain point, the, the unexplained, he's, he comes to this kind of barrier uh, after going to the, the West and the East and subjugating the people of the West and the East. He comes to a, a, a group of peoples who he's unable to communicate with and at that point his his expansion into territories comes to an end um, not because he doesn't want to but because he desires not to so we have no understanding of the fact that when he came into contact with Ya'juj and Ma'juj um, Ya'juj and Ma'juj being the two um, tribes that he is warned of there's no indication in the Quran that he is actually um, engaged with them in any way or even that he confronts them in any way so it doesn't mention that he 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 had a conflict with them or a war or a battle with them after which there was a truce and it, as a result of the truce he then decided to have a barrier between him and them or peoples and them in other words a barrier between the two peoples um, there's no indication of that so that again it indicates a degree of the the judicious nature of Dhul Qarnayn that he, he ruled but he ruled with his mind and wisdom before he ruled with um, might and power um, and, and so this again it, it, it ties into the previous story of um, the Prophet Musa and Khidr where he seems to be wise to the affairs of the world to the point that he doesn't get in, involved in a conflict which he knows he cannot win so that shows again the wisdom um, when Allah says lahu fil ard, that we established him firmly in the earth also part of that you understand is that he was he was able to do that because of his wisdom and knowledge and, and, and insight and foresight and so he didn't make decisions that ended up collapsing his his sultanate his, his power base, his empire so he was judicious and thoughtful in how he um, ruled even though he was given almost complete and comprehensive power and so the, even that idea is actually very interesting because he comes to these people who, who are not able to understand what he says. They warn him of these two tribes that are mufsiduna fil ard who are who are um, doing great mischief in the earth. But again, Sheikh, that's a very important point where you touched upon mm -hmm. that measuring yourself up before you kind of go into some kind of conflict or mm -hmm. challenge. Mm -hmm. it, 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 there is some kind of rule. Uh, as well that, uh, that the rules of khuruj and w where mm -hmm. you should only involve yourself in a combat or in, in, in a conflict knowing that you are going to uh, have some positive results and it's not going to uh, kind of result into more anarchy mm -hmm. uh, Arab Spring comes to mind 
Arab Spring has got other um, reasons why it came into being. The Arab Spring came out of an issue of necessity, almost, you would say, almost necessity, because you've taken us down a completely different path. But that, that was a passing point, which is that what I understand is Dhul Qarnayn could have easily have attempted to subjugate. He didn't attempt to subjugate, which means that he um, he measured up the possibilities of what was there. Um, and also there's a possibility that he did it on the on the basis of revelation that he was to ordered, but that's rare, that type of um, revelation, even in life of the Prophet where he's warned about a specific action to do with worldly engagement by revelation, it's very rare, like Badr, the Battle of Uhud, the Battle of Khandaq. Usually people are, are, are given guidance but they're told to make their own decisions. And so it, it, it seems strange if somebody said, well, he didn't engage Ya'juj and Ma'juj to subjugate them is because God orders him not to do it. It seems very strange because it goes against, um, again, it goes against what we know of God's inter, 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 interjection and God's um, interaction with people, especially prophets. Um, guidance is one thing, but an, a thing of planning their actions is different because they have to be free to decide mm. and so you know that's one thing but the thing like things like Arab Spring that was to do with almost like a, when, it was, when it came into inception it was a need that happened um, due to p- poverty and fear and corruption and and um, it, the type of rule that, is, that exists and still exists in, 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 in most of the Muslim worlds anyway um, it was a spontaneous thing but the thing with the Arab Spring is that it became the the calling card of, I would say, the middle classes who had other access to grind with authoritarian regimes, other than just the the, the, the lower class who were very very much protesting against the fact they didn't have eat food to eat, water, utilities, housing. Hmm. Whereas the call, the kind of hashtag generation of peoples that brought people onto the streets through use of Twitter and, and all these social media. There's a completely different generation who aspire to different things from the people um, who spilt their blood um, for the sake of the revolution, revolutions and the springs and the, the beginning. Mm. And so you, what you see is it metamorphosized into something completely different. Yeah. And then once it's picked up, it's obviously picked up by foreign governments who then have their own agenda. It's not a conspiracy theory to say that they, they have their own agenda to forward and then they they provide as much support, moral and, and financial, as much as possible to undermine um, existing states like in Libya or in, in Syria or <coughs> in other places like Egypt. And so it's such a mess that you can't come out of it saying, well, this is what we need to do and this is the best course of action. So what you find in you know most Muslim countries is the people that started or um, pushed the revolutions internally um, fra- fractured while doing that because the fact that it's such a grey area yeah. because there's one thing about saying on, in theory it's perfectly, it's perfectly valid and in fact it's a must to do it's a different thing in, in practice when you're doing it whether it justifies the destruction and the bloodshed and, and, the, uh, the, and the kind of upheaval um, that that will inevitably be caused, but but when you, when you speak to people, they say, well, it's worth it, and I, I find that shocking mm. that so anybody intelligent can say, 
will will be worth it because we need to go through that um, heart wrenching experience of to losing achieve freedom. Yeah, which I think is un, un, unsustainable in an Islamic context to to argue that because I'm talking in the context of Zul Qarnayn, why did he not? Engage with Yajuj and Majuj because he felt it was not judicious and proper and would be successful given what he knew and what he was understanding from the situation that it would be a, a productive um, explanation. No, the argument on the other side for that is uh, you know, um, you don't always have the right numbers. Mm-hmm. You're all, Islamic history tells you mm-hmm. that you always were outnumbered. Yeah. Uh, you didn't have the right technology, mm-hmm. but what you had was faith. You had was conviction. You had no, no, d- absolutely d- wrong. Okay, completely wrong. Do you know why? Because there's actually studies done why were Muslim empires so successful in the Middle Ages, and the the the, the idea that they say that Islam innovated that separates it from pre-modern societies that uh, engaged in war as well is that pre-modern societies went to war without taking those precautions. Mm-hmm. Now, if so, if you see the Christian army wanted to fight an enemy, it was inconceivable that they would file for a truce or that they would look at whether it was feasible to fight or not. When they, once they made decisions, you had to go to war. Mm-hmm. Like that means you're a martyr. Whatever it means, it is a sign of no faith that you that you do not engage in battle with the infidel. When Islam came, it basically said. Once you're in the battle, you cannot run from it. Mm-hmm. But you don't go into the battle. So this is yes. this is this is like studied by um, war historians. Like the basic thing in Islamic armies was that they they went to war knowing that they could be successful in the battle. Otherwise, they would not attempt to engage the enemy. Sure. So the the ones where you were outnumbered, once you were uh, not at par with technology. Mm-hmm. Is when you were defending, when you were forced into a situation. Yes. So this this is the thing I find when I speak to Muslims, I'm actually sometimes just completely, um, I, I just dumbfounded. But the degree of a naivety on, on these types of issues, they throw out these p- mm. issues without any kind of mm. understanding of the backdrop to essentially Islamic law, because it comes back back to fiqh, mm. it comes back to aqidah, it comes back to theology. And so, whether it's to do with you know Islamic finance or contractual law, whether it's to do with halal and haram, what's halal, what's haram, whether it's to do with any any of these issues, you find that people are very um, doctrinal and judgmental in their positions, and very much they're arguing a case without looking at the evidence. They know what they want to argue for, even if the evidence goes against it, they will continue to argue the case that they want to argue. And the simple fact is that Islamic movements and armies were successful because they picked the, the battles and the and the situations in, within which they felt they had the, the ability to win. And then once they engaged, they continued. Now, it meant that one of the one of the seven major sins that the Prophet mentioned was um, fleeing from the battlefield. You know, that's right up there amongst the you know the seven greatest sins. If you imagine that, that is. Serious because it, it means that you're in the battle and you flee the battle without any any indication from your general. But the reality is Islamic law also instituted, and this is also the other thing that you know war historians have picked up on, is that Islam 
in its command structure in war had this idea that if the commander in the, in the battle called you to retreat, you retreated. So your retreat wasn't off the table, it was on the table all the time. But based upon the command, like the Prophet ﷺ, during the battle of Uhud, he called people to pull back. Very clear. And now that that is against what other cultures and civilizations did, which was once you were in the battle, you fled the battle, but you did not make the decision to leave the battle. And so this is quite an important point. So it comes back to this issue because I was when I'm just reading it now, it come it seems to be important because otherwise you're just left with this discussion of why did Dhul Qarnain not engage these people? Is he weaker than them? If Allah says inna makkanna lahu fil ard that God established him in the earth does that mean that God na'udhbillah is, is 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 mistaken in what he has stated that he established him firmly in the earth if he's firmly established in the earth it means that he's able to make the right decisions mm. and so that is probably one of the most important things that I think comes out of here is that this idea of balance this idea of of um of thought and um Calculation in doing something Before you do it And so what he made is He made a very judicious decision To Take the word, take the word of the people That had said that Ya'jud and Ma'jud Juj are um, Sowing mischief in the earth um, And what he did was He decided to do that by non-engagement And what's interesting here is Mufsiduna fil ard Um I mentioned previously that it's their inherent nature that they do that, but some some scholars could say, well, it's not that they were creating mischief; it's it's that they will create mischief, which mm-hmm. again comes back to this idea that in the in the end of time, Yajuj and Majuj will become prominent, will become a major source of destruction of the environment, of economy, of resources, of humanity, essentially by their essential traits, and so. It's almost as if they're being resisted That that trait that they have is being held back mm-hmm. And so what happens is That they're, they're, they're informed is informed that they do great mischief in the earth And they offer to, as we said yesterday Pay a tribute and some money to him That they might that he might erect a barrier Between them and um, yeah, Juj and Majuj and themselves And what's interesting, he just takes he doesn't. He didn't even say, "Well, why do you need a barrier? Why don't we just engage him in battle?" He just right away, you know, essentially says, "Okay," because he's mm. going to. He's, he does what they say. Yeah. So he their suggestion is what he does. Mm. Whereas you would imagine if he comes there, he would say, "Well, what, have you not thought? Have you not thought of this or that? Why don't we just? Why, why don't we do X, Y, or Z?" He just right away. All he says is. You know that money that you you said you'd pay to me. What does he say? he say? He says that wealth, you know, wealth, authority, whatever it is, in which my Lord has established me, is better than what you give. And whatever you can offer me, God has given me much better. So I don't need your money. In other words, what I do is fi sabilillah essentially. So help me with strength of men. In other words, help me in terms of humans. I will erect between you and them a barrier. And so what's interesting is this. This kind of statement that God has provided me um, and established wealth and power with me, and so I don't need what you're giving, is very similar to what you know. Yesterday I mentioned that Sulaiman Ali was the only was yeah. the other um, leader, a believing leader who had control over the known civilized 
earth in terms of the credo of civilization. Um, he has the same discussion with um, Bilqis when she comes to him with gifts. He says the same thing, that I have no need, God has established me with wealth and power and I have no need of what you provide for me. So what's inter- interesting is these two rulers who ruled the known inhabited you know, ancient, ancient uh, roots of civilization, they were in such need um, of God that God provided them with everything they needed and when people came to him providing for them they refused to have it that generosity hmm. that they they were they had this kind of humility but this this idea of shukar and relating things back to the source of where they got it from because otherwise you can say I don't need it hmm. you know they say take this I don't need it you know what they say is God has has established for me such great power and wealth that I'm in no need of what you give me so again that servitude that humility even at that peak is very very clear here simple that is better you know whatever you can provide for me whatever you can give me this is better and so therefore what I need is that you help me with Strength of numbers, the strength of of of, of men and and people. Ajal baynakum wa baynahum radma that I place between you and them a, a barrier, and that's the, the that's the proposition that that, that the Prophet Dul Qarnayn actually provides them with. So welcome back to uh, reflections with Sheikh Radwan Muhammad. Uh, just going across straight into this uh, um, where we left, uh, Sheikh. We are now at the stage of the story where. Zulqarnain uh, has encountered, but it's not encountering. There is no encounter as such. He's come <coughs> across these two Qabail, uh, mm-hmm. um, these two um, tribes. Now, these are one of the many signs of the day, signs of the end of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the main major signs of the end of times when mm-hmm. they appear. So, the question is, it has happened or it will happen again? Ya juj ma juj. It has happened or will, will it happen again? So, well, it has happened. So the thing I mentioned is Mufsiduna fil ard when they, when they're described as being people that uh, essentially you have to start with the fact who they are. They're people. So you know there is narratives and narrations and I remember in books of tafsir reading. You know, um, sometimes unsubstantiated narratives about the nature of these pe- people, where, where they were almost subhuman or 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 superhuman, um, essentially does not make any sense. But also is not, you know, supported by authenticated narrations that we have. Essentially, which are these are people, um, human people, flesh and blood, look no essentially no different from anybody else, but their their tribes due to their in cultured nature of violence or or depravity that they um, don't with you know uphold uphold the same norms that people at that time in, upheld in terms of um, you know the kind of civilizational principles that people had at the time. So you know ancient civilizations um, were brought up were brought up and nurtured in in Mesopotamia or in ancient Egypt. Those are the cradles of civilization, but there's also an, an age which is roughly just before this time, 
um, which is the time of Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, which is also the time of the great prophets. Um, and it's a time when, you know, historians call it axial age. The axial age is, is this kind of pivotal age when people start moving into a more civilised mode of being, where they recognise the rights of other human beings who are not just of their tribe or of their nation, but they general, generally understand the right of a human being that is alien to them to the same dignity that they um, deserve themselves. So, you know, the famous hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that none believes until they love for their brother what they love for themselves. You know, Imam Nawi says that that means a brother in, in humanity. And it was your human brother. Mm-hmm. That idea is called the golden principle, essentially, in different ways, in Judaism, in Christianity, in Hinduism as well, in Buddhism. All of them have a general idea of um, you know what you would not want others to do to you. Do not do it to others. Mm. So that that idea, that principle, seems to be accepted. But what we understand from Yajuj and Majuj is that golden principle is up for discussion, mm-hmm. and in fact, up for rejection, up for debate. So, Mufsiduna fil Ard kind of for me very clearly implies that if sad comes from not accepting civilizational norms of the rights of humans to exist in a certain way, to basic ideas of freedom, basic ideas of education and, civ- and civil... Um, so, sorry, hold on, hold on. But are they not always evolving? Mm-hmm. Are they not always... Um, not just evolving, they're fluid. Civilization mm-hmm. norms are fluid. Yeah, so that's the point I was making. The Axial Age was, was this point where there's a jump from whatever was before... To a change into a recognition. So whatever civilization norms there are, regardless of what they are, we should be kind of conforming to those. Um, yeah, you conform to whatever civilizations understand to be civil. That's a generally heavy... understanding is so fluid, it's changing all the time where uh-huh. we live. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like some of it is quite abhorrent, quite No, that's different. Problematic. I'm, talking, I'm talking about core civilization values such as the, the, the golden rule. Okay. So when you talk about the axial age, you're, the axial age is a, is a period, I think Karl, Karl Popper talks about it more than anybody else, um, that it's the age where a certain coming together of ideas and, th- and, and thinking and principles happens where different cultures and different civilizations all start to see the same thing, like Confucius religion in China all the way to um, Greek civilization. They all converge on this central golden rule. Now, other things will be different. Mm-hmm. How you treat prisoners of war, um, rules of war, um, right to um, transparency and, 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 and things like voting and, and the right of people who are dispossessed to have an opinion how the government is. All these things are open to discussion and they shift all the time. And I think that's probably what you're referring to. Is yeah, yeah, civilizations but I, I, have different I'm values. also referring to the, there is a huge clash in mm-hmm. understanding of what civilization is. Mm-hmm in terms of uh, revelation-inspired civilization, mm-hmm. or uh, kind of, uh, I'm trying to translate it from Urdu, Khuda Bezar civilization. Yeah, so uh, God forsaken. No, the, the point I'm making is, in the context of Ya'juj and Ma'juj and Al-Qarnayn, the Ya'juj and Ma'juj we understand to be outside that understanding that was common to such different peoples that were conquered by the Al-Qarnayn. And so that set them apart. Mm. Now, the thing you're mentioning is something slightly different, which is values. 
So values is, is something that is, you know, people always say values are exactly the same in every single culture and every society. They're not. Yeah. You know, so, you know, you'd imagine basic, you know, value of respect for, for, for the rule of law, for human freedom <coughs> and the right to wealth, for example, all these values. That's not the case. If you look at societies, I mean, in, in, in terms of sociology, they have this kind of... Um, um, axiomatic presentation of values in terms of this four different kind of axis towards which um, you know societies um, extend. So on the one hand, you could have, and and they're related essentially to personal freedom and religiosity, and the opposites. Mm-hmm. So personal freedom, lack of personal freedom. In other words. Instead of the, the, the individual being at the centre of society, you have family at the centre of society. So with that, you have two types, two, two um, you'd call axes. Yeah? And then the other axis is religious, irreligious, or secular. Mm-hmm. And so you've got plausible four-phase four um, chart here, where you can have a family-based religious society on the one extreme, mm-hmm. and then you have an individualist secular society on the other extreme. Okay, so that's, a spe- that's a spectrum. And a spectrum. And so every single country on earth, or every kind of civilization on earth, and country generally will, will congeal around that, are going to be plotted depending on if you're totally only family orientated and religiously uh, attuned, or whether you're individualistic and secular in your mindset. So four quadrants. Four quadrants, and then you have, you have all, everything in between. Now okay. that indicates, if you look at societies nowadays, like if you go to the Far East, it's very much towards secular, but family orientated. Okay. So it's like, you would imagine it be yeah. secular, religious and family. No, they're family, or like China, for example. Yeah. Like this idea of, of community to the point of communism hmm. in hmm. the kind of idea of, of enforcing community. But that comes from the secular mindset. No, but as well. ve- ve- like but other the point is, values, values differ. Yeah, it's very, different. very similar. Eastern values yes. are, are quite different from where we live. Yes. So in China, for example, you have secularism, very rampant secularism to the point that Christianity, Islam, uh, every religion is being subject to the point that we know that people are tortured in, in, in internment camps in, in, in certain parts of China um, as state policy because of the fact it goes against the secular nature of, the, of their state. But it's still very much based upon the fraternity of the family and the social units. And on the other extreme, you have places like you know Iceland or Scandinavia, Scandinavian countries, where it's very much about the individual, and it's very much about the fact that nothing supernatural or supra supranatural or religious can be accepted in the, in discourse, public discourse. Mm-hmm. So values always change, but you know there is. But the value of compassion. Yeah. So the the, the golden rule. That's why I'm saying the golden rule remains. It, okay. It's not a value, it is, it is a principle. And so what I'm saying here is, Ya'ajuj and Ma'ajuj, the mentality that you get out of Ya'ajuj and Ma'ajuj, the tribes, is that that's up for discussion, that you should love for your brother what you love for yourself. Or the Jewish articulation of which is, if, if there's something that you don't like somebody to do to you, do not do it to other people, which is the opposite, flipping it. They must have something that forms some cohesion amongst themselves. What the yeah, Jews might do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if, if they were so powerful, yes. they, there must be something that existed, and that's it. 
the, the, the coming together of the fact that everything is up for discussion. Yeah. Which is essentially, um, in philosophy they call it nihilism, which is basically everything is up for discussion and everything is up for destruction. Everything has a price. Hmm. And so essentially, why this is important, <laughs> this is where it gets um, interesting, why, why that is important is because that is why they're important at the end of time. Because mm. your question was, mm, mm. is it there or then? I mean, then it could be that they were, had these traits that meant that people didn't want to interact with them, so they were placed behind this barrier. Or it could be that they, that trait would then become so efficient that it would actually bring the whole world into its, into its, um, into its control. So end of time has a recipe. Mm-hmm. And that recipe has ingredients, which is one of self-destruction. From within, mm-hmm. yeah, it's essentially Yajuj and Majuj. Allah says they are coming; they descend down as swarms from every high, um, high place. So this idea of devouring and, and in the hadith, the Prophet and authenticated hadith, just indicate that they they ravish the earth of its resources. That's the one thing we know about them. Nothing else. Not mm. that they fly. Not that they have fangs or they they they're cannibals or Anything It's just that they deplete the resources of the earth hmm. They suck it dry In other words, everything that you understand to be part and parcel of the earth It is just surely and easily taken apart Consumable So consumption is, it gets to the point that you know Disposable You, you know, when you look at Yeah, the idea of everything is disposable But the idea is Basically about agriculture, for example, you do studies in agriculture, you look at the, the, the nature of soil and the quality of soil over the last 60 years, it is unbelievable the degree to which we have now made soil dependent on, on what we can give back to it in terms of fertilizer, mm. and soil cannot sustain anything by itself now. So you have these multinational companies, well-known companies that basically sell their fertilizers and sell the grain that is used with the fertilizer to the point that if you if you go out of their cycle you can't you can't plant anything, mm. and so that the the, the crops you, you you're, or the seeds you're given come with the fertilizer that you have to buy, and if you don't buy it you basically have a famine. And so yeah, Jews and Jews essentially you know you don't have to jump to any conspiracy theory to say that that is a representation of yeah Jews and Jews, because if you speak to any environmentalist, the most sensible environmentalist and most you know, <laughs> environmentalists nowadays are sensible because it's so mainstream. They will say the same thing. Mm. Nothing sustainable. Like buying food and having it transported from, say, for, from Australia on the other, other side of the world all the way to here just so you can eat something that's out of season, that's a, that is a sign of madness. Mm. And so, it, but the point is, it's a sign of madness because we can't sustain that. But Ya'juj and Ma'juj mentality, the, na- the kind of mentality of Ya'juj and Ma'juj is that those, you know, that as long as the here and now is okay and we make the profit, it's sufficient. And so the only thing we're coming up to is who are they? Mm. In terms of where are they? Are they behind this barrier? You know, the, this, the Quran in Surah Al-Kahf says that there was a barrier placed between them and the people that were seeking their seeking refuge from them. Now, at no point does it say that that barrier is something that would remain till the end of time. Mm-hmm. Um and so what we understand is that it's not as if they were caged in this prison. It's the fact that they were just stopped from 
doing a natural incursion, like, you know, Khandaq. Mm-hmm. The Battle of Khandaq, essentially, it's a ditch. Yeah. And, you know, the modern mind, I've, I've heard people say this to me, it was actually quite funny. They said, well, how can a wee ditch stop 12,000, 20,000 army attacking Medina al Nawara? Mm. I said, go to the city and go round and look at all the. The, the 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 kind of the, the the volcanic activity all around the city and look at where cavalry can actually have an impact it's the only place they can have an impact mm. and if they can't get a run into the city then they're just sitting ducks waiting to be killed by a smaller number and so just having a physical thing that stops them encroaching and makes it difficult for them to come is sufficient to keep them in their own lands yeah, it's just almost like a pass uh, yeah, because I mean, people, Khaybar Pass and all yeah. these kind of things, people always say, well, why are these places so important when you can just go around the other side of the world? But you, you can't, can't do that. You can't do that. You can't take your army all the way around. No. People who know, they know. They know exactly. the terrain, they know. Yeah, so this is the thing. What, what people, the modern mind thinks as well, they must have been like encaged in some kind of iron um, prison. And so they didn't have tools to get out. That's not the, That's not the case at all. And so what? You know, my own understanding of it is that yeah, Ajuj and Majuj were 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 for a time kept behind from attacking this specific geographical location, but they were free to move wherever they wanted. And over time, and remember, Dhul Qarnain is you know a fair time before the Prophet Ali Salatu hmm. um, If you take it to be Cyrus the the second, or you take it to be Alexander the Great. Um, you know, the Prophet in the hadith of Al-Bukhari kind of in- indicates that they're, um, they've, made, they've made their escape. So the Prophet says, woe to the Arabs from, a, from, a, from an evil that is encro- fast encroaching. Fast encroaching means it's happened. Mm. And so they've made a, a break in the barrier, which is a metaphor for the fact that they're now able to just freely move from where they were, they can now freely move. And essentially, they were free to move and they moved. And unless you, you have that understanding, you're, you're really in a, a big big predicament because you're, you're trying to defend things that are indefensible because there's no part of the earth that hasn't been searched or reviewed or mm-hmm. um, plotted. It's just not the case. I, I did geography at university. You know, the, the, the cartography has mapped every single part of the earth. And especially the kind of inhabited civilizational heartlands like these, it's very clear that that's the case. And so what you what you have is this is an historic set of tribes that then spread <coughs> across the earth as human beings, not as demons, not as um, somebody said they're zombies or mm. they're just human beings, but with a very specific trait, either a generic trait or this is a God-given trait to them that this is their purpose that they will then create mischief in the earth. Again, essentially against the norms of what people understand to be the general rule of life. Cutting corners. Um, and, and you see whether it's capitalism or, 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 or Marxism, um, stroke communism, it's essentially the same mindset. And so people like uh, Imam Anwar Shah Kashmiri, famous, probably know of him, very yeah. famous Hadith scholar from India, um, he had the opinion, which is perfectly plausible, that they are, they've spread and they've, they've, um, they're there, they're everywhere. Yeah. Because they're humans, and the point is their mindset. It's the mindset. It's the mindset of 
you know, I, mean, I see it all the time. I mean, that mindset of of a, of a, of a na- multinational CEO just not caring about the welfare of normal people, um, and so they're just means of gaining profits. Is the mindset of Yajuj and Majuj? I think because when you look at you know, fashion industry, you look at agriculture, you look at um, any industry. In fact, none of them are free from that that kind of vicious. Um, search for profit over welfare. So welcome back to Reflections with Sheikh Razwan Muhammad. Sheikh, just before the break, um, we'll probably quickly wrap up this conversation of is, um, and before we go on to our very important segment of uh, 99 Names, which is very close to our heart. Um, uh, Yajuj Majuj, is this a metaphor? As you've suggested that we have now people who reflect the behavior described in Quran mm-hmm. and communities and that's what we need to look out for not to have that something which is there which is destructive for humanity which is destructive and we see the destruction caused by those norms and behaviors which uh, consider everything to be disposable uh, up for debate, up for just taking it, uprooting it, and not having violating it, and not having any um, sanctity for it. Mm-hmm. I, I just think you, you can't say it's a it's a metaphor. The, the, the Yajuj and Majuj are real tribes, real peoples that that are real historical um, that relate to real historical events, and therefore, what you, you what you have to say is that they they were. Um, Unleashed, allowed to to engage, and it comes back to what we were talking about yesterday. Yansilun in the Quran, Surah Al-Anbiya, when it talks about them coming and descending down, but Yansil also means to procreate and to influence and to spread, mm-hmm. and so essentially that spread happened. I mean, I, I, I understand it to have happened from the time of the Prophet because the only other counter narrative is to say that. Um, there's a hadith in Imam Tirmidhi's collection which is that the Ya'juj and Ma'juj every time they they manage to break through parts of this dam or this barrier the night comes and then they fall asleep but they don't say inshallah and then the next morning they arrive and, and, and it's been reconstituted and they start from scratch and when night comes they, they rest and they don't say we'll continue in tomorrow inshallah and it happens again you know the nature of that hadith it's a, it's a weak hadith so you can't base all your religious understanding on leaving aside what the Quran is saying which is just saying that at that time they were they were contained and the strong hadith of the prophet sallallahu in sahih bukhari which is narrated not in one place i think it's narrated in a number of places in sahih bukhari in different forms and different um, sections and um, that they have managed to breach or bypass the barrier and that means from the time of the prophet sallallahu which is in this, you know, the seventh century, um, in, in terms of Christian reckoning, and so therefore, there's no need for metaphor. It's the fact that this is the tribes that will then move through societies, and not as a conspiracy, but just as a general trait, they will end up being the societies that under under undermine um, real civilization. And I think we've seen that over the last two hundred years or so. Of the way that technology has advanced and, and, and ethics has advanced, um, from one perspective, more civilized, 
But from the other perspective, you know, it's, it's a very strange situation where you have generally more respect for, for the right of a human being in terms of dignity. But as that's being projected, you have structures created that take that very same dignity away um, in a structural way through through the kind of forms of economics that we have and the forms of politics that we have. And that's what's so surprising about um, Ya'jud and Ma'jud is that the, the thing that they will do Regardless of their values, short-term values, is that they will end up bleeding the earth of its resources, leading to a catastrophe, economic and environmental catastrophe. And I've said this in this show before, that the COVID issue came out of the fact that um, the Chinese population was basically starved to death during the, the Great Leap Forward in the 1960s due to the imposition of farming techniques and, and the reposition of, of private land um, and the nationalisation of productions of of um, production of, of food, that meant that th- over thirty to thirty five, almost to forty million people died of starvation. The people that didn't had to resort to eating animals that they never culturally ate, and that became then a custom, which then has led to wet markets that has, you know, ha- is 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 leading to waves of of contagion in terms of new strains of contagion because human beings and wild animals are not supposed to live in such close proximity mm-hmm. so when we think of it why does Islam um, prohibit the eating of wild animals because they're wild essentially you know apart from hunting uh, at distance it's considered to be something that's abhorrent and so it's not a, it's not a metaphor you don't have to go into the realm of metaphor in fact you have to go into the realm of reality the metaphor and the and the superstitious nature of it is to say that they're in some kind of bunker like mm-hmm. there's a thousand of these Ya'jud and Ma'jud in a bunker trying to crawl out. And mm-hmm. at the end of time, Allah will let them cr- crawl out. That's more superstitious than just saying what the Quranic text clearly indicates and the Sahih Hadith indicate. Um, you know, the, the Hadith in Imam Tirmidhi has been criticized and, and shown to be weak anyway. So I think in these kind of situations, you have to be, right, you have, to be you have to have your you know, eye on the ball in terms of not becoming a very superstitious religion. Mm-hmm. To become a mocking, you know, laughing stock, stock of people because what you're saying it doesn't make any sense at all, and so you know Muslims need to know that and they need to be a bit more wary of that. Uh, Sheikh, um, near the end of times, Imam Jazari's book Hasn Hasin mm-hmm. uh, talks about um, you know protection uh-huh. through various du'as. Uh, um, for Dajjal, for um, for from the the fitna mm-hmm. of Dajjal and the fitna of Yajuj Majuj, uh-huh. and the emphasis again of the in the weight of the names of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, mm-hmm. how to protect yourself from various situations in life, mm-hmm. uh, and we we did a whole series on that. Mm-hmm. Um, a special name. For this situation, I mean the the greatest name of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is Ism al Azam. The Prophet said, "There's no there's no one that beseeches Allah through this name, except that um, Allah will relieve them of their of their need." So different names have different qualities. The name Ism al Azam is one that bypasses everything, mm-hmm. and, and the the one that, the dua that comes to to mind in terms of Prophet Sallallahu is. يا حيو يا قيوم برحمتك استغيث. So يا حيو يا قيوم حي قيوم are two names of Allah which actually 
as a compound create one name which is al-hay which is the living but essentially that's a that's a name which indicates the the, the most essential quality of Allah which gives rise to everything the thing that lives can then be merciful can then be just can then be powerful can then be seeing and hearing and spe- speaking so al-hay is like the basic condition al-qayyum is then the one that requires nothing at all is self-subsistent is uh, beyond time beyond space and therefore is unlike anything that we know so even the hayat of Allah the hayat the life of Allah is unlike the life that we have and so when you bring them together al-hay al-qayyum bi rahmatika astaghith is through is with your mercy that i seek refuge and i seek help al-hay al-hay al-qayyum bi rahmatika astaghith in fact this dua has like three names which indicates that you know names are there's not like a special name that you can only use for specific things. The names indicate Allah at the end of the day. Ya hmm. Ya Qayyum. You're saying, oh Allah, who is the living and the, and the self-subsistent and the everlasting. It's through your mercy that I seek help and aid. Hmm. Not through your power, not through your um, destructive force, not through your living nature, not through your... برحمتك استغيث. In other words, what you're asking essentially is the help that you give should be through the prism of mercy, of compassion and care. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things about the, the fitna of Dajjal is uh, the Prophet said that reciting the first seven, the first ten or the last ten um, verses of Surah Al-Kahf is a protection from the um, the punishment of, of, of Allah from the Dajjal the reason for that is it, the first and, and last verses of the Quran of Surah Al-Kahf encapsulate the, the qualities of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala as a as a complete, you know, Rabbi. So in, at the end of this chapter, this amazing um, section, if if the if the oceans were the ink to write the the praise of Allah, the oceans would have come to um, come to nothing. Before they could complete the the, the, the the dhikr of Allah, the remembrance of Allah, and mentioning the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So essentially, you know, nothing compares any tribulation that we have or trial that we have compares when we have the names of Allah. Just you a know. reminder to the listeners that uh, we have this amazing 99 names window uh, in the building where we host Radio Ramadan, the Ark. Um, it's, it's a unique idea. We uh, floated it a few years ago. Uh, Alhamdulillah, uh, would you believe it that out of 99, 91 names have been sponsored and people have um, proudly associated themselves with sponsorship of one or maybe several names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In that, Sheikh Rizwan and I, we did a series as well of 99 names, trying to understand the names in depth. It actually happened in one of the Reflections show. Uh, we were actually talking about the 99 names uh, and this live appeal for the Ark was there. And uh, Sheikh Rizwan happened to be in that program. And we started talking about the in-depth meaning of some of the names. And as Sheikh would speak, the calls would keep coming. And people... I remember in that very program, we had about maybe 30 or maybe more calls just to sponsor names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within a very short period of time. 
and the thing went on and uh, we did uh, several uh, uh, sessions where we did some special recordings of trying to understand those names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how they affect us how we interact with them in our daily lives how we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his beautiful attributes through his beautiful names and only eight of them have left uh, to be sponsored only eight people uh, I know from our website um, and from uh, other uh, stats that we have there are hundreds maybe thousands of people listening to this program just now all i need is eight people to own the sponsorship of one of the eight names left and the names that are left to to be sponsored are al-hakam and there was no script and i just asked sheikh you know one of the important names and he came up with ya hayyu ya qayyum bi rahmatika astaghis ya al-hayy is another name that is there on the list uh, al-muqaddim al-muakhir al-akhir al-dahir uh, al-witr and i can't pronounce this name right sheikh uh, please correct me al-musayr musayr mm. let's start with al-musayr I mean, the one that makes things easy, the one that um, allows things to be facilitated. Um, I mean, all the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are, are, are there for a purpose. The purpose of the names is to, you know, it comes back to the idea of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, having specific qualities through which he's known. And these are all manifestations of how he interacts with creation. So the well-known names are, are there and we understand them and, and we kind of interact with them day to day. But the one that facilitates and the one that makes things easy and the one that allows things to happen, that is a very special name, a very special quality because you know, people have blockages, people have obstacles, people have um, specific needs and fulfillments that they want to um, come to terms with. And essentially, names are there to create an inspiration within us to fulfill something. So the Prophet said that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has 99 names. Um, whoever enumerates them, dakhal al jannah. Enumerate means to live by them or to make, take benefit from them. Mm. So benefit obviously is, is, is done through, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's a bit selfish. I mean, this is the way that I kind of um, have understood this. The names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when you, when you do dhikr of them, it's always about what we want. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always about, you know, Allah, give me this because I need this. Oh Allah, uh, how can I use this? How can I make benefit of this? How c- and at a certain point, you become ashamed to go and to seek a name for a purpose that you have. Do you understand? Like, it, it becomes, hmm. Um, hmm. you know, it's like Rabi al-Adawiyah, she said, you know, it's very famous of her that she was, um, spotted in Basra with a bucket um, and people asked her where are you going let, let us help you and she says no I'll, I'll take it myself because I'm putting out and she was in a state of um, you know they call wajd which is this kind of exhilaration or almost like she's beyond herself she said that I want to put out the fire of hell because I see people worshipping God for no reason other than the fact that they are fearful of hellfire Mm. And not because Allah deserves to be worshipped, mm. mm. and so, you know, part of me always always thinks that we should, 
remember Allah and, and, and honor Allah and worship Allah for the sake that He needs to, He deserves to be worshipped. SubhanAllah. Do you understand? So it means every single name, even the fringe names, are as as central because they run the names that God chose for Himself. Al Musayr. Yeah. So this is if God chooses that, chooses Al Hay, what's the other names you have? I have Al Hakam, Al Hay, Al Muqaddim. Al Muqaddim. Al Muqaddim. Al Akhir. Al Akhir. Al Akhir. Al Zahir. And Al Witter. Al Witter. And just a reminder to the listeners is 1,000 pounds each. 1,000 pounds each. I've had families, Alhamdulillah, calling um, to say uh, we want to reserve two names, four names. There are final eight left, and we want to close this by 27th of Ramadan. Uh, so today is 21st, but we maybe don't want to wait until 27th. We actually probably want to finish it off by latest tomorrow night. Mm. But let's have at least four of them tonight before Iftar. Uh, iftar is at 9.32. Our number is 375-3434. Number is again 375-3434. Please ring that number and reserve one of these eight names left. It's only £1,000 to associate yourself with the sponsorship of one of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name. This name, these names will go in a beautiful window up in this building that I am in just now, uh, broadcasting this uh, uh, reflections uh, arc. Uh, it will be a unique, one of his kind. Uh, and your name, your chosen family name, your fathers, your mothers, your childs, wh- whichever one name that you choose, will go on a plaque with the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you have chosen. And that those names will be enshrined for our living memory, inshallah, on this window that we have, which is an old church building, uh, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us to make this a home for the generations to come as a media hub so names are al-hakam al-hay al-muqaddim al-muakhir al-akhir al-zahir al-musayir al-witr al-hakam sheikh al-hakam is the one that is judicious i, mean, I mentioned this in um, when i was speaking about dhul-qarnayn hmm. judicious is hakam is the one that makes the the decision based upon intense wisdom Al-Hakim is the one that's wise. Al-Hakam is the one that makes a judicious... One of the meanings, so there's other meanings, but Al-Hakam is the one that makes a judicious, firm um, decision for a purpose, which is slightly different from Hakim. Hakim is the one that in, engages in, 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 in the creation in a way that affords perfect unison with his knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, perfect wisdom we understand it to be. Hakam is the one that judges and is judicious and is true and just in that specific way that that he deals with events. Mm-hmm. So it's a very powerful name. It's a very strong, you know, um, name which which indicates control. It indicates, um, you know, kind of, you know, kind of this kind of matana, which is this kind of idea of of, of agile strength, mm-hmm. which is part and parcel of Islam. You know, Islam is described as being matin. Prophet said, "Inna hadadin matinun biha That this religion, Islam, is matinun, means it is very precise and it's very strong and it's very judicious. Um, so the Prophet said, "You know, deal with it uh, in a way that's 
you know, kind of rifq is to be gentle. And the reason for that is you can't respond to strength and power with strength and power. You have to, you know, it's like in martial arts, they, they teach you to use the, 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 the strength and the power and the force of your opponent, not mm-hmm. to face it with strength and force from yourself because you'll end up injuring yourself and you will not be able to control the force that's coming. What you use, you, you use that power and you deflect it. And essentially, Al-Hakam is, is you know, coupled with other names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, such as Al-Latif, Al-Khabir, the ones that are subtle, the names that are mm-hmm. soft, the names that are made up of, of as, we, as we call the names of, of beauty. Rather than the names of majesty, this is one of the names of majesty, which is this is one of yeah. Hakam is one of the names of strength of majesty and. Sheikh, what's and the concept of nisba? The, you know, we have nisba with our father's name, mm-hmm. and we have uh, we will be raised by our mother's name on the day of judgment. Uh-huh. But then, having your association, your nisba with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's name, you choose it and you mm-hmm. kind of nurture it, you know it, mm-hmm. and and you interact with that name and you mm-hmm. interact with the quality. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, the th- thing here is that if you if you specifically restrict yourself to one, you are restricting yourself to from all of these other plaus- plausible things you'll need in your life. Mm. So at a certain point, you may need a latif, but you know if you're stuck with a latif all your life, they say ya well, latif. You you would need hakam as well. You need wahab as well. You need wahab. You need al hakam al adl. Al-Qabid al-Basit You need everything And the whole point is God's names are such 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 a, a treasure trove of mm. meaning That they have utility At any point in your life Subhanallah um, You know the, the fact that you restrict yourself To this is my To my grave I will take You know Al-Hakim There's a point point Where you should um, relinquish that, that Connection with a name Because you have to admit That you are You are either You lack Hikmah or you need not God's wisdom, but you need God's hakam, which is, you know, hakim is to yeah. be wise and let things happen. Hakim is to give a, a judicious judgment. So the whole point, but name the names is you 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 do dhikr and remembrance of them all. The Prophet said, "Man addaha," whoever enumerates them all, didn't say whoever chooses one mm, and mm. and remains. I mean, if you've if you if you if you connect yourself to one, connect yourself to another ninety eight. <laughs> Yeah, so we have ninety nine names. Ninety one uh, are gone. Final eight left. Thousand pounds is what we are asking for. It's it's one of the ways of your contribution for this uh, hub that we have created uh, together as a community. Hundreds of people have joined in this effort. There are scores of families who have joined in, and you know. Uh, one of the examples the other day, one of our volunteers, uh, she put uh, this name in the family group, and before you know it, it was gone. Uh, Fifty pounds each was it, and then they all contributed towards this name, and they have their great grandparents' name uh, associated with one of the sponsored names of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So um, 
ways of doing it you don't have to do a thousand pounds yourself please put it in one of your family groups uh, and say if 10 of you can come together 100 pounds each or 20 of your uh, of your family members can come together uh, in the name of your grandparents uh, one of the grandparents have passed away or who are alive or one of your very um, own uh, dear uh, aunts or uncles that you would l- wish to associate uh, in their memory as Sadaqah Jariya, uh, people would remember this. Eight names are left are Al-Hakam, Al-Hay, Al-Muqaddam, Al-Muakhir, Al-Akhir, Al-Zahir, Al-Musair, Al-Witr. Sheikh, Al-Muakhir and Muqaddam, mm-hmm. they are the twins. They're, they're opposites. Opposites. Yeah, Muqaddam is the one that um, elevates um, or makes something precede. Yeah, and the and the muakhir is the one that delays, and the interesting with this is the one that delays may be the one that is ben- benefiting you because the thing that you want, it may be better that it's delayed. Mm. Mm. So people obviously put me to the beginning, and when so you it's get like to the beginning, Basit and uh, uh, the, the two names that we did, uh-huh. um, Qabid and Basit, that yeah. really fascinates me all the time. Yes, so whoever wants it, they want both names, muqaddim and muakhir. No but, no, but you can have one because the muakhir is the one that puts you in the right place so that you, when your turn comes, you're ready for what you want. It's like du'as. Why are du'as not accepted right away? Yeah. You know, people say, I made a du'a and it didn't, didn't get accepted. The reason for that is it didn't get accepted upon, based upon your conditions. Mm-hmm. But it did get accepted based upon God's conditions, if it was sincere. Mm-hmm. If you fulfilled all the conditions of du'a, it has, it's been accepted, khalas. But it means that God has, has chosen what is better for you, which mm. is sometimes mu'akhir. So very rarely do you, does your du'a get accepted right away. Allah gives you either something else that's better for you, or reserves for you, reserves it for you later, or knows it's not good for you, and therefore does not give you it. A minute left before we go off air, and I expect, inshallah, that there will be enough people out there to just grab this opportunity Final eight left. Our number is three seven five three four three four, three seven five three four three four. You can open your fast, uh, make your du'a, and then phone after uh, Adan, inshallah. Or you can leave a comment on our Facebook page. Um, and thousand pounds is what we were asking for to associate your name with the sponsorship of one of the names of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Ninety one has been taken. They've been taken. Final eight are left, and I repeat the names which are left Al Hakam, Al Hay, Al Muqaddim, Al Muakhir, Al Akhir, Al Dahir, Al Musair, Al Witr. I'll leave you with this track of 99 names, followed by Adhan. Inshallah, we'll join you again tomorrow with Sheikh Rizwan Reflections at 8 pm. Salaam alaikum. Thank you for listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Make sure to visit our Radio Ramadan website at rr365.co.uk to access all of our podcasts. Stay tuned on our social channels for future content. 